Fusion, the International Science Radio Show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism, the dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Relax while we lovingly drizzle weird and wonderful science sizzle into your brain. I'm Monica Sharma and on this edition we'll feature internet censorship in Australia, broken hearts and fixed hearts. But first up, here's the news with Patrick Ruby. Your heart could be powered by your heart. ABC Online reports that a microgenerator powered by heartbeats could provide the energy to power future pacemakers. The microgenerator is being developed by Dr Paul Roberts and researchers at Southampton University Hospital in the UK. It uses two compressible bladders and a microgenerator mounted on the lead of a pacemaker or defibrillator. The lead is attached to the right ventricle of the heart and conveys the energy from the pressure of each heartbeat to electrical energy in order to power the implanted device. The current model can draw about 17% of the energy needed to power the pacemaker from the heart itself. It was presented at a meeting of the American Heart Association in New Orleans. This technology could lead to the creation of longer-lasting implantable devices because they can harness local energy sources. Pacemakers are needed to speed up or slow down our cardiac rhythm, and defibrillators normalise rhythms if they get too fast or too slow. The researchers are now working on different materials to make the microgenerator more efficient. Forget chat-up lines, it's all about looks, according to New Scientist Online. In a big crowd people more often select outer beauty over personality when choosing a desired partner. This research comes from a team of scientists at the University of Edinburgh, the UK. They studied 118 sessions of speed dating with groups of 7 to 36 people. The speed dates involved a series of five-minute dates. At the end of these sessions, the researchers observed which people were successful in arousing interest in a second date. The researchers found that when the size of the group grew, the offers to get in touch for a second date were skewed towards just a few individuals. Less popular people received few or no offers. This is different to some of our other primate cousins, where the larger the group, the more successful the less dominant individuals were at finding a partner. Alison Lenton, who led the research, explains this as having too much choice. In small groups, people might trade off preferred physical characteristics for personality. Intelligence wins over looks. But in big groups where there is so much choice, people resort to more basic impressions. Looks beat intelligence. She explains that humans are predominantly a monogamous species, which means there are fewer characteristics we look for as alternatives when choosing a partner. In the case of a short-term relationship, this doesn't seem to matter. However, it might influence our choices of long-term partners. Critics of the research have highlighted that initial selection of a partner doesn't necessarily mean you'll end up choosing them as a future mate. The research has been published in the Journal of Animal Behaviour.
Gilgarian is a survivor of the first dot-com boom and occasional technology writer for crikey.com.au. He spoke to Ian Wolfe about the Australian government's plan to censor the internet. So, Gilgarian, the federal government of Australia wants to protect the children from the internet. Yes, that's right. I mean, protecting the children is a very powerful meme for politicians to use. And in this case, uh, it's come from originally... Uh, really people connected with the conservative right wing of politics. Back before the 2007 federal election, there was a petition circulated largely at churches and that came back with 11,000 signatures to say, we want you to do something about the internet. Kim Beasley, the former Labor leader, promised that they would have, as the petition wanted, uh, centralised or internet service provider level filtering of the internet, filtering as they call it, to clean it up like a coffee filter or a water filter I should say and that became part of Labor policy. In the Me Too kind of politics before the election the Howard government also said oh well we'll do that too to reduce the differences between the two parties. So that's the policy that resulted both the Howard government started working on it and now the Rudd government continues to work on the path of ISP level filtering of the internet. Well, I don't think censorship is is a new idea for any government, probably back to the dawn of the age of the printing press. Every government in history has been fearful, uh, to some degree or other, of its opponents publishing views that they don't want to see. Now, the idea of protecting us uh, from the naughty bits, the dirty bits, and especially protecting the children is a very powerful cover story to make it palatable to the population when, in fact, what the government is putting into place is something that's more wide-ranging. And through history, well, there's been plenty of examples where that's got very wide-ranging indeed, and that's the fear of the people who are opposing the government's current plans. The old government's plans, the Howard government, they had a filter that you could download and put on your own computer. That's right. That's the Howard government's NetAlert program, and it's still there at netalert.gov.au. The idea of that was that if you were concerned about people in your family seeing material you didn't want uh, them to see, and we're, of course, talking protecting the children, that free of charge you could download a filter, install it on your computer, set it to the settings you wanted, and then your children would be protected. Now, the problem with that plan is really twofold. It doesn't work and no one was interested. It doesn't work because a young lad, a teenager, managed to defeat and uninstall the filter in half an hour. It was updated and it took him 40 minutes to then break it after that. And it is extremely easy for uh, kids to just share the knowledge of how to break that filter. The other problem, as I said, was that no one was actually very interested. In its first few weeks... Hundreds of thousands of people downloaded the filter, but only a short time later, only 29,000 remained in use for the entirety of Australia. Now, that means that effectively once you count in all of the television advertising that went on before the election to tell people about this program, every single installed filter cost the taxpayer $15,000, which is an amazing number when you think that these filters are obtainable just from your local software shop for under $100. And I believe the new filter that's going to happen at the internet service provider level is going to cost way more than that. Well, we don't really know is the problem because we're still in trial mode. Now, the trials were set up by the Howard government under Helen Coonan as communications minister. 
and Senator Stephen Conroy, who's the new Minister for Broadband Communications and the Digital Economy, which is a, a wonderful mouthful. Senator Conroy has continued with the plan without changing it. We don't know how much it's going to cost because, one, the trials haven't actually happened yet, and two, the budget really isn't fully set. Now, in the annual budget that was handed down earlier this year, the only money which was committed on internet filtering was for the trials that we're currently going through. We've had phase one of the trials, which was the lab test, and we're about to start phase two of the trials, which is with real internet service providers and real customers. Now, the money's been set for that, but the big money is for the 2009-10 financial year and after that, and it's not yet been made totally clear how that money will be broken up. Certainly, uh, the government wants to spend more money on catching people making child pornography. They want to spend more money on education as well. And it may well be that it won't turn out that the filters will happen at all because all of this stuff in the budget is labelled up to this amount of money, possibly this. The next lot of trials, I guess they're about to start, are the ones at the internet service provider level and with their customers. So I don't notice any of the customers being asked whether they want to be part of a trial where they get less than the normal service that they're paying for. Well spotted, and that really is it. The lesson that we probably should take away from the NetAlert experience is that it's really a relatively small number of people who want to censor the internet in this way, and I use the word censorship quite deliberately. This is a very different system from any of the the Western democracies. This is a very different system from those that any Western democracy is putting in place. It's instead the kind of centrally controlled, secretive list of naughty places which are blocked, which is much more akin to what is happening in China, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Libya, and other such beacons of hope for the world. And Senator Conroy has been denying this, but the simple fact of the matter is that's what it is. And they're not even just looking at a a filter of a blacklist of naughty places. They're actually just looking for general content as well. Isn't that correct? And I can hear the kind of questioning in your voice. And look, the, the problem is none of this has been made very clear at all because there is no clearly delineated policy of what will and will not be filtered. It seems that the policy making is going to happen after they've run the trials to see what it is possible to filter or not. Now, I might step back and just explain how internet filtering works. There's really only two things you can do, and all of the filters that are being trialled do a combination of these things. You can either have a, a list of known places where bad stuff can be found and block people from accessing those places, or you can on the fly kind of look at the the traffic that's being downloaded live and try and work out on the basis of its content whether that's something good or bad or not. Now, the problems with these are really that they're not good enough and whether they will ever be good enough is something that we could argue about. But at the moment, the, the government trials show you that it really isn't accurate enough for the real world. Now, let me let me give some examples of this. The first approach is to see where the stuff comes from. That means you have to have a list of bad places that has to be kept up to date. Now, the problem is the internet is changing live. There are people posting hundreds of thousands of things to the internet every single day. It's very difficult to see how any kind of bureaucratic process could keep that up to date. Now, 
Senator Conroy is saying we already have a blacklist, and it's true. It's about 1,200 sites that have been agreed upon internationally as really key places to do with things like child pornography and to do with known terrorist organisations. Now, those sites are blocked at the borders of Australia, and it's only a very small list, so we don't notice that sort of thing happening. But when you start talking about the real internet with millions of websites and hundreds of millions of web pages within Australia alone before you start talking about internationally. It's just a completely different problem on a completely different scale. The other way is to try and block material based on its content. That means as someone's downloading a photograph, you have to determine, say, whether this photograph has large areas of pink that denote naked skin, and you go, oh, well, that's pornography and we'll block it, or the file name is something that indicates it might be and block it. Now, that requires incredibly huge amounts of processing power, which simply don't exist, or if they do exist they're just going to massively add to the cost of your internet connection because, let's face it, any internet service provider is going to pass on the cost to their customers. And it's almost as if it hasn't been thought through, the policy hasn't been thought through by anyone who actually understands the numbers. I can put a few more numbers on this by people who are much better mathematicians than me and people with real-world experience. In a medium-sized internet service provider, if you are talking about looking at the best filter that has been tested, the very best filter still blocked 3% of sites that should not have been blocked, that were perfectly legitimate. That means in an average middle-sized internet service provider, 3,000 web accesses will be blocked incorrectly every second. How would you know when you've been blocked? You would click on a link in a website, you'd enter an address, Mm -hmm. and instead of getting what you wanted to get you presumably get some sort of error message that says that's not available. So you won't get a government message, you'll get just an error message. Well, we don't know. You don't know. Well, that's the point. The technology hasn't been chosen. Right. The lab test trial, it was really an open invitation from anyone who made filter technologies to say, look, make them available, we'll test them in the lab and see how good they are, we'll see what they block. And while we're also looking at the refused classification and X-rated and R18 plus rated material, we'll also see how they go on M and PG and whatever, just to see. Just in case we decide to block those later. Well, this is the question, isn't it? Why test something that you have no intention of ever doing? Senator Conroy's talked about blocking content to do with real violence, cruelty, sexual violence. And aren't these the sort of things that are covered in the daily news and in documentaries and in history? Or the Bible. Or the Bible. To use the example that the Christian right don't like us pointing out. Indeed. Conroy's now backpedalling on this quite a lot. And in interviews in the media in the last couple of weeks, he says, no, 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 we're only talking about blocking material that is currently illegal. And I'm sure that when we get to the discussion, which we'll have down the track, then all sorts of people will have other ideas about what they will and won't want to block. And certainly some people have said, well, we want to block websites that support anorexia as a a lifestyle choice or gambling and so on. This really gets to the, the politics of it and why I suspect that... Conroy's caught between a rock and a hard place because in the Senate the balance of power is held by Family First Senator Steve Fielding and Independent Senator Senator Nick Xenophon 
from South Australia who's very much an, an anti-gambling person, but he's also very much a populist, and he knows very well that when you talk about protecting the kiddies, you know, this is a very powerful thing to get the voters on your side. And, and his history in the Senate... Well, he's very new to the Senate, but he's from South Australia and was a very successful independent politician there. He knows how to stir up the popular vote. Now, the government, the Rudd government, needs those Senate votes to get through any legislation that the Liberals would otherwise block. So my guess is that all this was a bargaining chip for votes in the Senate, and Senator Conroy does not want to change any of this because otherwise Family First and Nick Xenophon will will say, ah, but you promised, well, etc., etc., etc. But as I say, there is no clear policy. Now, if there was a policy that said, we want the internet generally to be rated up to MA... 15 plus and anything beyond that will be banned say then that would be a clear policy you could test it and do it and so on but it seems almost that there's this fishing expedition to see what sort of things they can and can't filter and that to me is policy backwards so do you think maybe it's hot air and politics and they don't really want to succeed i sometimes wonder whether Senator Conroy, yes, is hoping that the trials will go ahead and prove comprehensively that this won't work, because my prediction is that's precisely what's going to happen. It is incredibly easy to defeat this kind of filtering, whether it's a filter installed on your PC or a filter out at the internet service provider. It's very easy to get around it. Maybe he's hoping that it will fail he can then come back and say to Senators Fielding and Xenophon, well, look, we tried. We upheld our part of the bargain. We've tried, but it's not going to work. Thank you. Goodbye. The problem, though, is if they're not defining what it is in legislation that they're banning or how they're doing it, how do you prove that the filter's working or not working? In fact, how do you prove it's not working? Do you have to say, hey, I saw an illegal website come and arrest me? Or what's the proof? (laughs) Well, you can prove it's not working the other way, I suppose, by saying I tried to access a perfectly legitimate website about breast cancer self-examination, which is certainly going to have pictures of naked breasts on it, or perhaps the first time that a, uh, a worried member of parliament decides to check out a website on testicular cancer, maybe he'll then be worried that well, then he's not going to report that either. I don't no, know. No, see, this is the problem. People might not be reporting that. And if there's not a error message that tells you it's been blocked, if it's just a generic one, or it could just be service difficulties, there doesn't seem to be a way to prove that it does work or that it doesn't. So it seems like a flawed trial from the start. Mm, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this. The documents about the, the live field test trials were only released a few days ago uh, as this goes to air. And, you know, I think people are still rummaging through that to find out what it all means. Certainly some major internet service providers have pointed out problems with this. And indeed, the the chief executive officer of IINET, which is the third largest ISP in Australia, has said, yes, they will be signing up for the trial so they can demonstrate quite thoroughly that it's a bad idea. Or at least that's what they tell their customers. The thing about IINET is that it was one of the ISPs that was founded by geeks and is still very much run at its core by geeks. So they're interested in in making this policy go away. But even Telstra, which I think the polite way is saying that they're a more politically (laughs) oriented organisation, certainly Telstra have had one of their spokesmen saying that it even raises a legal problem. 
that if someone signed up to say, yes, the internet should be filtered so my child uh, is safe, well, the error rate is such that, I mean, let's put some numbers on this. If something blocks 95% of sites that are bad, it only means your kitty has to try 20 sites the first 19 are blocked, and the last one they get through to something naughty. It, it, like, people think, oh, 95% successful. That's really actually not very good. And is it only the web that they're looking to censor? Or is it everything internet, including instant message, voice over IP, file sharing? It comes back to my point again. We don't know. They're making this up as they go along. The trials are to evaluate what can and cannot be blocked. In the phase one trial, it was very clear that the the numbers I'm talking about there, the success rates, were really about web traffic. None of the filters tested could deal with peer-to-peer file sharing traffic at all. None of the filters really can deal with encrypted traffic, and there's the problem. If the traffic is encrypted, it's encoded between your computer and wherever else you're connecting to, then a filter can't see what's inside that. The only choice is to block all encrypted traffic, which just simply won't work because that means you can't connect to your bank. It means that if you're at home, you can't connect to your business's office over your virtual private network. You can't have a Skype conversation with someone because that's an encrypted telephone conversation. That's the problem. You either have to block all encrypted traffic or not. And if you block encrypted traffic, then you throw out all of the legitimate encrypted traffic with it. And who do you complain to if your own website gets blocked? The organisation would presumably be the Australian Communications and Media Authority, ACMA, which covers everything to do with the internet, with broadcasting, with communication and the media generally. Now, with 3,000 bad blocks a second per internet service provider, per whatever, you can imagine the complaint levels are going to be high. They're going to need... Someone calculated you would need tens or hundreds of thousands of staff just to process the inbound complaints. So maybe we don't have to worry too much. Maybe, except that, from my point of view, uh, of someone who personally cares about the human rights aspect of freedom of speech, what is being proposed is a mechanism for blocking certain kinds of conversation and dialogue on the internet. It is being managed centrally. It is being decided by the government what is good and what is bad. And the list of what is good and what is bad is being kept secret from us. There has been no real public consultation about whether this is a good thing or not. And the kind of public response, uh, network engineer Mark Newton from Internode, although he's writing as a, a private citizen, has been very vocal about this and, and put a lot of very pertinent questions, none of which has been answered. Because every time someone criticises Senator Conroy on this, or I should say criticises the plan for filters, Conroy's response has been to say, well, are you supporting child pornography? Uh, Now, the Green Senator, Scott Ludlam, has been uh, tough enough to endure that kind of comment and persist in answering the questions. And indeed, in the Senate only last week, he asked again and again, and Senator Conroy is just simply not answering the question. Well, Stilgarian, thank you very much. Pleasure, Ian. That was technology guru Stilgarian discussing the Australian government's plan to censor the internet. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. 
diffusion at 2ser.com. Brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network. The poor whales have been getting a bit of a hard time lately, haven't they? First of all, they're getting killed by the Japanese. The US Navy, they've been sending a long-range sonar into the ocean off the Californian coast. And there has been a lot of toing and froing of trying to get these long-range sonars uh, out of the water so that the whales can basically migrate around. Whales have a much larger frequency of uh, sound that they can understand or that they can hear, so it's a much lower frequency when it's this low-range sonar. The whales communicate to each other using a very low frequency. Because they can hear this when we normally can't, it will affect them. They also use it for their orientation through migration patterns when they're migrating north and south of the summer, I believe. They're basically getting really messed up with their directions, where they're going, and a lot of the time they're ending up beached on the shore, beached as. Even a preliminary Navy study that was uh, in October last year found that sonar could actually disorient 170,000 marine mammals and leave 8,000 whales temporarily deaf. It isn't just the whales, it's all marine mammals, so that's all your manatees, your dugongs, dolphins. The court actually said in the end that any such injury to the so-called plaintiffs being the whales is outweighed by the public interest and the Navy's interest in effective, realistic training of its sailors was exactly what Chief Justice John Roberts said. However, they have also said that the Navy's pretty much violated the law by failing to prepare an environmental impact statement, on the other hand. A few of the judges, while saying that there was no doubt that the training exercises did serve critical interests, those interests perhaps did not authorise the Navy to violate a statutory command. However, this has been overthrown, also because President George Bush... Uh, does have constitutional power to exempt the US Navy from environmental laws, curbing the use of long-range sonar in the North Pacific as well. That's a whale of a problem. And that's all from us in this edition of Diffusion. If you would like to contact us, if you have feedback, comments, suggestions or wild, passionate praise, if you'd like to contribute to Diffusion and hear your own voice passionately communicating science on radio, then send us an email to diffusion at 2ser.com. That's diffusion at 2ser.com. Or subscribe to our podcast on our website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And contributing to the program were Ian Wolfe, Patrick Ruby and Caitlin Howlett. Diffusion is being produced by Ian Wolfe in the studios of 2SER Sydney. Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Monica Sharma. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Since people seem to be marching for their causes these days, I have here a march for mine. It's called Smut. Give me smut and nothing but. A dirty novel I can't shut if it's uncut and unsut. Tall. I've never quibbled. If it was ribbled, I would devour where others merely nibbled. As the judge remarked the day that he acquitted my Aunt Hortense, to be smut it must be utterly without redeeming social importance. Or the graphic pictures I adore, indecent magazines galore, I like them more if they're hardcore. Bring on the 
obscene movies, murals, postcards, neckties, samplers, stained glass windows, tattoos, anything. More, more, I'm still not satisfied. Stories of tortures used by debauchers, lurid, licentious, and vile. Make me smile. Novels that pander to my taste for candor Give me a pleasure sublime Let's face it, I love slime All books can be indecent books Though recent books are bolder For filth, I'm glad to say Is in the mind of the beholder When correctly viewed Everything is lewd I could tell you things about Peter Pan And the Wizard of Oz There's a dirty old man <laughs> Will and really fill the who needs a hobby like tennis or philately? I've got a hobby, rereading Lady Chatterley. But now they're trying to take it all away from us unless we take a stand and hand in hand we fight for freedom of the press. In other words, smut, I love it. Ah, the adventures of a slut. Oh, I'm a market they can't glut. I don't know what. Compares with smut, hip hip hooray, let's hear it for the Supreme Court. Don't let the 